What's going on? And welcome into the Friday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson here inside the Auctioner Sports Performance Center, back home in the Big Easy, where tonight the Pelicans begin a three-game homestand starting with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Big thanks to Todd Graffinini for holding down the fort on Wednesday. He'll be your host once a week from now on for this Pelicans podcast. So we kick things off with uh, talking to one of the voices, the other voice of the New Orleans Pelicans. That is Joel Myers, and we have a great show for you today. We'll get a national perspective on the Pelicans with Mark Medina, who covers the NBA for USA Today. He was in Los Angeles. He's based there, but he was there for the Pelicans and Lakers on Mardi Gras night. And I believe he'll also be here on Sunday for Pelicans-Lakers. So we'll get his perspective on the game that happened there. And, of course, um, get his thoughts on Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, and a whole bunch more. But, again, a very important homestand for the Pelicans. In the last couple of days, they have gotten some help from other teams as far as the battle for the eighth spot. As since the All-Star break, the Pelicans have gained three games in the loss column to the Memphis Grizzlies. And they are in action tonight against the Sacramento Kings, who are now starting to creep up. On the Pelicans and some of the other teams, they have 35 losses, but still technically within striking distance. And the Kings are on a back-to-back. They lost last night to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and they'll take on the Grizzlies tonight in Memphis. So we're all Kings fans tonight. Uh, and Pelicans win and a Grizzlies loss. It'll only be two games back of that eighth spot. Also with a win, they jump to ninth as far as the Portland Trail Blazers are concerned. Right now, the Blazers are percentage points ahead of the Pelicans in ninth place, but actually the Pelicans have one less loss, and that's what you need to watch out for. When you're looking at this race for eighth, the loss column is all you need to know about how many games back because you can't get any of those losses back. So the fact that the Blazers have one more loss is a good thing for the Pelicans, especially when they own the tiebreaker. So it's really like the Blazers have two more losses than New Orleans. The Cleveland Cavaliers have been rolling since they made a coaching change. No more John Beeline. It's J.B. Bickerstaff, and they have not lost since J.B. Bickerstaff has taken over, including a win over the Philadelphia 76ers. So even though the Cavaliers have a pretty bad record heading into tonight's ball game, it won't be an easy game at all for the Pelicans. And as I mentioned, a big game on Sunday against the Lakers, then they'll round things up with the Minnesota Timberwolves on Tuesday. As we mentioned, joining us now is Mark Medina, NBA writer for USA Today, former Warriors writer for the Mercury News, and he joins us now in Los Angeles as uh, the Pelicans just got back from Los Angeles as they took on the Lakers on Tuesday night. Mark, I really appreciate you coming on. How are you today? I'm doing well. Appreciate you having me on. I'm honored. No problem. Uh, let's talk about Pelicans-Lakers from Tuesday before we get into this weekend and kind of the Pelicans playoff push here. Um, obviously, the Pelicans did lose 118-109. to thought it was a very entertaining game between the two teams. What were your takeaways from the other night with those two teams played? Hey, my takeaway is that uh, two things. One, this LeBron James and I the matchup is going to be flawed. You're seeing LeBron James still be LeBron at age 35, and you're seeing Zion Williamson really making a, a strong case for rookie of the year. And He's also shown that he's not afraid to go against uh, some of the best guys in the league. That's number one. Number two, I am really hoping to see a, a Lakers-Pelicans first-round matchup. I think that the, the series would really sell itself with all the different storylines with you know, Zion versus LeBron, Anthony Davis facing his former team, uh, the, the Pelicans young four, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Josh Hart facing uh, their former team in the Lakers and Combine all the ingredients with the talent. This is going to be a very 
first first round matchup, and uh, I, I think the, it's safe to say that the NBA uh, league office would love it because it would be ratings gold, and, and they could sure use that kind of help after going through some struggles this year with the ratings, partly because of Zion's uh, you know injury that left the sideline for the first forty four games of the season. I have plenty of questions to follow up on that. I thought those were some very interesting takes, and I want to start with these two teams, and I feel like this might be crazy. There's not a lot of rivalries in the NBA right now. Just It just seems like there's really not too, a lot of teams that hate each other at the moment, but with these two teams and kind of how things have played out these last few games and how things happened in the offseason, is there a potential budding rivalry between these two, or is there maybe a possibility of the makes of one if these two teams meet in the playoffs? You know, I, I don't. I think it's a stretch to say it could be a rivalry simply because if this is a first-round matchup, I don't see any scenario where the Pelicans upset them. And I think for it to be a rivalry, it has to have this back and forth to win. Right. But I think that has the recipe for entertaining basketball, a good first-round matchup. And I, I almost liken it to when the Lakers last won an NBA championship in 2010 at that point. They were a first seed because of the likes of Kobe Bryant and Malcolm Gasol and Lamar Odom and Ron Artest. And they went up against an Oklahoma City Thunder team that featured a young Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and Serge Ibaka. And that was their first playoff experience. So I think because of all the things in play, I would still pick the Lakers probably at five or six games. But I know using that playoff matchup as a reference point, uh, the Lakers afterwards really felt like that series tested them because there was a lot of young, talented guys, and it really made them kind of sharpen their focus and prepare them for future rounds. And I think, you know, when you compare that to other first-round matchups that might not be as competitive, sometimes that, you know, causes teams to kind of sleep off their way early in the postseason, and all of a sudden uh, they're, they're woken up later in the rounds when they're not fully prepared. So I think in that respect, it would be pretty entertaining to watch the other thing that you brought up is zion williamson potentially being the rookie of the year and i know when zion first made his debut you know some people were talking about it. it's like all right we got to slow down a little bit we need to see how he plays you know in this next stretch of games but is there a big enough sample size now also depending on how the grizzlies and the pelicans do as far as making the playoffs is there a bigger possibility now that zion could sneak in and potentially win this thing well i'm skeptical only because of John Moran. I mean, philosophically, I don't have a problem with voting for Zion Williamson for rookie of the year, even if he missed the first 44 games, because his production has been off the charts. And, you know, you obviously know this. Ever since he's come back, the Pelicans have been among you know, the five SFDA teams in terms of record. Um, but I think that that really shows just how good of a player John Moran has been with the Memphis Grizzlies, where you know, the Grizzlies kind of entered the season with expectations that they would be a lottery team, and then, you know, now they're having a good chance to get one of those seventh or eighth playoff spots. And he has been mostly consistent throughout the season in terms of his scoring, his, his playmaking. You know, he has a good balance of, you know, providing some highlight reels, but also making a smart basketball play. And he, uh, he, he's a worker. He's someone who goes to the gym uh, early and, checks out late and really studies film. So I think if it was a normal season, uh, Zion, I think, would be winning this even with missing 44 games. But I think it really has to do with just how good of a player John Morant has been. But, you know, you never say never in the NBA. Uh, you never wish this on anyone, but 
maybe there there might be an injury or all of a sudden Grizzlies fall off the map. Uh, but I think even with how impressive Giants is playing, because Jaw's been doing that the entire season, it's going to be too much to overcome. Has there been anything that surprised you about Zion? You knew what, you know, there's a lot of expectations of him. We kind of knew what he was capable of doing. But when watching him in person and watching him on television, has anything surprised you about his game? Um, nothing surprised me about his game because of all the expectations, seeing him at two, the fact that he's the number one pick. But I have been pleasantly surprised at the pace of, of the growth that he's shown ever since he's returned. And it's interesting you ask that because, I have a specific reference point with Zion where I, I was in New Orleans for his NBA regular season debut against San Antonio, and then I certainly watched the game on TV, but the last game I saw in person was uh, the game in L.A. against the Lakers. And I think when you compare his debut to that game against the Lakers, what jumped out to me is his conditioning has been night and day and off the charts as well as just his overall timing and rhythm. And those are things that are still – Know, things that he needs to improve, but that's the scary part. The feeling is that as impressive as he's been, number one, he's only scratched the surface, but number two, given some of the limitations that he's had to open you know, his return with those conditioning, timing, and rhythm issues, I think one of the underrated parts about Zion's game is that he knows what those limitations are, and therefore he doesn't try to force things. He, he makes the right play a lot. And then you add in all the ingredients of, hey, he's just this really athletic big guy that can throw down and, and you know, bully yourself in the pain and, and play make. It's, it's, it's a very scary and tantalizing uh, player to watch. Yeah, no doubt about that. And you mentioned improvement. I want to talk about another guy on the Pelicans that, you know, could potentially win the most improved player award. That's Brandon Ingram. I know you were covering the Warriors last year, um, but I know you have an idea of what Brandon Ingram's game is, and we saw it the other night against the Lakers for you and just from your standpoint, what have you seen from Brandon this year that's kind of, you know, taken his game to another level? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that's interesting with Brandon is I, I didn't cover him uh, his, you know, lone season with LeBron James, but I had previously covered the Lakers and and had a window into his rookie season. And then when you compare the rookie season to this year, I mean, he, he he's a lot more assertive and aggressive. Uh, that's probably one of the same, but uh, he always entered the NBA with a solid skill set in terms of his, you know, ability to score from the post, the outside, and drive the basket, as well as be a pretty good weight defender. So it was a matter about, you know, being comfortable showing all those things, and also, you know, offsetting the reality that hey, he's he's not a muscular big guy in the NBA, and some people might want to push him around. So. I think with his, with his growth, you have to look at two things. One, it is a little bit of a continuation of last season. As much as there was this narrative about Brandon that he struggled, you know, adapting with playing with LeBron, that was certainly true at the beginning of the season. But his numbers after the All Star break were pretty impressive and a little bit off par to what he's shown this season. So it's a little bit of a continuation. But I think the second thing is it's also a reflection of him feeling a lot more comfortable in the Pelicans' environment, you know, he's told me and others that same part where he feels a lot more empowered uh, to be able to play his game knowing that uh, you don't have the same kind of pressure cooker that comes with playing with the Lakers and being in L.A. Look, Brandon was a guy that was always a professional. He, he knew how to handle, you know, playing in a big market. But I think 
the fact that the Pelicans weren't in this winner now mode and, you know, dangling young players as far as trade prospects, I think because of that, that helped, you know, Brandon be the best version of himself and as well as to a lesser extent, Lonzo Ball and Josh Hurd. Yeah, all those guys have certainly developed here in their first year with New Orleans. Um, let's talk about the Pelicans and their playoff push. As we're talking right now, three games back of the Grizzlies, percentage points behind the Blazers, but one loss ahead of them, and they also hold the tiebreaker. Can't forget about the Spurs and even the Sacramento Kings, who are a couple games back of the Pelicans, could slide their way getting closer. When you look at all those teams crumbled up, who may be the Pelicans' toughest competitor when it comes to trying to make the playoff push, is it the Grizzlies at the top at eight or with the injuries in their schedule and maybe someone else that kind of climbs up there? Yeah, I would say that Portland would be the toughest because of Damian Lord and CJ McCollum. And, you know, I know that Damian, you know, had some injury issues lately, but, you know, he uh, he's a guy that can single-handedly beat teams. And as much as I have been impressed with the Grizzlies overachieving, I just got to be frank with you. I think a lot of their wins, have come on the heels of kind of scheduled losses against teams that weren't really taking them seriously. And I saw that firsthand when they played against the Clippers a few weeks ago where they came into L.A. It was a 12-30 tip on a Saturday. Uh, the Clippers didn't really seem that engaged. And I think, you know, the, the Grizzlies did all the right things in competing and, and taking advantage of those lapses. But I think now teams have started to take that a little bit more seriously. So if I had to rank, you know, the order of difficulty of teams that might get in the playoffs at the expense of the Pelicans. I would say it's Portland number one, Memphis number two, and then San Antonio number three. Usually you never want to bet against the Spurs because, you know, Greg Popovich is an amazing coach and they have that culture. But, you know, clearly this season uh, it, it's shown that they're in a much different era than they once were with, uh, you know, obviously with Tim Duncan, Monty Ginobili, and Tony Parker, and then the Kawhi Leonard years. And as much as they still have hey, DeMar DeRozan and, and LaMarcus Aldridge, clearly uh, they haven't been the most consistent players, and you could argue probably not the best players to have in today's NBA. So, uh, but that being said, I, I think that the Pelicans are going to make the playoffs uh, because their upside has just been so tremendous. And, you know, they're, they're no, there's no longer injuries, not just the Zion, but a lot of, you know, other teams that was going to be my next question, so I'll maybe have you elaborate on what makes the Pelicans a team that could be the one that pushes into the playoffs of the eight seed. What about them with the upside, with them being healthy and some of the role players around them makes them um, a legitimate threat as far as getting in at the number eight spot? Yeah, I think, it, I think it's three things. Uh, the most important thing is the health. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why the Pelicans struggled to the beginning of the season. There was no way around it. Uh, number two, Zion Williamson and his stellar play, and, and you feel like that, you know, each week that he plays instead of games is better than the week before. And then third, I would say, is Brandon Ingram. Um, you know, he deserves that all-star bid, and he seems to just be really empowered with this whole environment. And, um, you know, the thing that, that impresses me about Brandon is that he seems to consistently be in attack mode, and he also finds a variety of ways of scoring. So even if Teams are kind of locked in on him. Um, he, he finds other ways to, you know, kind of counterpunch all those things. So th those would be the three things that really give me optimism that the Pelicans will get to the playoffs. 
Before I let you go, of course, the Pelicans play the Lakers again on Sunday. I know we're, you know, the Pelicans play tonight against the Cavaliers, but I know everyone will be talking about Sunday against the Lakers. From Tuesday's game going into Sunday's game, what's the biggest adjustment the Pelicans need to make? I know it's tough stopping LeBron and Anthony Davis, LeBron having his first 40-point game of the season against New Orleans, but if there was something that the Pelicans can maybe try to correct that gives them a chance to win on Sunday, what would that be? Yeah, um, it's easier said than done. Uh, I mean, it's hard to really stop LeBron James, but I think what's interesting with that game is, you know, that that performance is a little bit more unique than other games where, uh, for the most part, the season he's been in distributor mode, you know, leading the league in assists, I think around 10 per game. And as much as this results in a loss, I'd like to say that the formula is probably the best way to go where – as dangerous as LeBron James was with scoring 40 points, I would make the argument that he could be even more dangerous when he's passing because that means Anthony Davis is getting a lot of production. That means there's a lot of team balance, and that also shows that he's dictating a lot of the offense. I, I think the formula is not to let LeBron James score, certainly, but to force him to feel compelled that he has to take the burden and make things difficult in hopes that maybe as the game goes on, he starts wearing down. But I think the reality is this. It's going to be a competitive game, and, you know, frankly, there's really only so much you can do because the Lakers have so much talent and experience that the Lakers will still win. But it it kind of explains why it felt like, you know, this potential first-round matchup would be amazing to watch because it is going to be a competitive game, and, and there's going to be a lot of, a fun back and forth of both star players to have make an amazing play. I know you may not know this answer yet just because they don't play until tomorrow night against the Grizzlies, but with that groin injury with LeBron, do you think there's a chance that there could be some restrictions with him with an upcoming back-to-back? They face Memphis on Saturday, then New Orleans on Sunday. Yeah, you never say never, but my sense is that they that, that absence against the Warriors had more to do with who the opponent was than gotcha. any severity. I mean, at this point in the season, no one's ever 100%. So I don't want to say that LeBron's injury was fabricated, but I think it was also calculated that the Lakers, who, you know, unlike in past years, you can afford to rest your main guys against the Warriors because they don't have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant, Andre Iguodala is on. And obviously, as they showed against the Warriors, it wasn't a pretty game from any team, but they walked away with the W. So my, my sense is that. LeBron will likely suit up for Memphis and New Orleans. And then, you know, toward the latter part of the of the schedule here in the next month, Lakers coach Frank Vogel will find, you know, practice days and also games that maybe he could, you know, skim some of LeBron's minutes or sit him entirely. But certainly not against Memphis and New Orleans because of how good those teams are. Absolutely. Potential 1-8 matchups on both game Saturday and Sunday so it should be a fun weekend for the Lakers and should be a fun one here on Sunday uh, inside the Smoothie King Center that's Mark Medina of course NBA writer for USA Today you can follow him on Twitter at Mark G underscore Medina M-E-D-I-N-A he's a great follow out there in Los Angeles and Mark we really appreciate the time today hey Darren I appreciate it well fun talking news with you all right big thanks to Mark Medina who covers the NBA for USA Today Again, we hope to see you tonight inside the Smoothie King Center, 7 p.m. Central Tip. You can watch it on Fox Sports New Orleans or listen on ESPN New Orleans 100.3 FM. But we encourage you all to be inside the Smoothie King Center, the first 5,000 fans. 
that walk inside the building will get a phone wallet courtesy of Sprite. And again, not only do we want to see you on Friday, or tonight, I should say, but Sunday against the Lakers and on Tuesday against the Minnesota Timberwolves. We'll be back with a full week of podcasts next week as we'll get you ready for another big week for the Pelicans. Again, Tuesday, it's Minnesota. And then a Wednesday, a back-to-back in Dallas against the Mavericks. New time change, 8.30 p.m. Central Time. Friday, nationally televised at home against the Heat. And the Pelicans begin a long four-game road trip on Sunday against those Minnesota Timberwolves. We'll have more on that next week. But we'll see you at the arena tonight. And we thank you for listening to today's Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek.